Higgins for serving us so faithfully again, and uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, today, we're going to continue on. I know last week we had a little bit of a break with uh, Rob Reimer here from SBC, but we are going to continue on today from uh, 1 Peter. And so if you have your Bibles, would you please uh, turn there with me? And we are going to dive right back in and uh, look at what the text says. Today, we're in chapter 2. And uh, Peter is writing, as we said in the beginning, he is writing to a church that is experiencing a lot of persecution. He's writing to a church that is in the midst of, you know, um, different uh, people being arrested and tortured. And so Peter is writing to this church to assure them and to prove to them and to give them evidence of the fact that even in the midst of their persecution, that God is with them. And one of the things that you will see Peter do many, many times in this book is, is he will talk about their suffering, but then he will always tell them to remember or to somehow focus on Jesus because Jesus experienced similar things. And I think Peter does this kind of like a lawyer would. A lawyer, uh, you know, when they present their case, a defense lawyer or the, you know, crown attorney, they never have one piece of evidence. They never have one witness. They would always strive to find as much material, as many witnesses as possible. And Peter does this a number of different times in different ways where he will say, you know what, and you're going to see it today again in this text where he will say things like, you know, when you are experiencing this, remember what Jesus did for you. And it's as if though he wants them to remember that you're not alone in this, that Jesus isn't asking you to do something that he himself wasn't willing to do for you. We ended uh, chapter 1 talking about, you know, um, you know, how we are to be holy as Jesus is holy, um, that we are to spend you know, our time not trying to be holy by the things that we do, but we are, we are to recognize that it is Jesus who made us holy. And now uh, uh, Peter begins chapter 2 with another therefore. And he started, you know, by stating that the new Christian needs to grow spiritually like newborn babies. And, and he's going to unpack that more for us today. But it's really, really important that we recognize that what Peter's doing here again is he's, he's building a case. He's building, you know, this almost like, an, a, like a lawyer building a case for this church to recognize that in the midst of their persecution, God is there with, uh, with them. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, he says this, Therefore rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, uh, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation." now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. He starts this by talking about how they need to grow spiritually like newborn babies. And, you know, as a newborn baby grows physically, they as Christians need to grow spiritually. Now, this involves both protection and nurturing. And so he begins by talking about the protection. You need to flee from all these things. You need to rid yourself of all these things because if you have those things as part of your life, you will un, you know, most likely end up back in a lifestyle that you were once in. And then he talks about nurturing, how they need to crave spiritual milk, how they need to go after the word of God. They need to not just be content with staying away from bad things or evil, but they need to constantly be pursuing Jesus. This new life is given to enable us to reach the goal of full and final salvation when Jesus comes back. And just because you and I have made, been made holy through Jesus, this does not give us now the permission to go back and live however we want. 
we are to discipline ourselves to grow in our relationship with Jesus. And this means first ridding ourselves of anything that will hinder and, uh, and um, um, cause us to, you know, uh, wrestle with, you know, old, old sin. And then we need to be pursuing that which will help us, um, you know, grow in our relationship with God. So let's look at the next section, um, chapter 2, verse 4. He says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts, who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builder rejected has become the cornerstone, or some translations say the capstone. Now to you who believe, um, sorry, verse 8, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they, have, what they were destined for. Now the living stone that Jesus is talking about here is, is Jesus. Sorry, that Peter is talking about here is Jesus. And what Peter does here now is he very brilliantly takes a, a three different Old Testament passages and he you know, puts them together to show that all of this has now been fulfilled through Christ. Peter says here that as we come to him, the living stone, as we come to Jesus, we also like living stones are being built up. You see, the Christian life is something that the Christian must grow both together as a church and the Christian must grow as an individual. And this is an important thing because he emphasizes the individual stones, but the way he does it is he emphasizes them in a sense of, you know, a structure, a, a foundation. There you have the cornerstone, but then living stones. Now this is, I think, a key thing for us to remember because in a church and in a Christian community, sometimes what we tend to do is we focus so much on only the health of the whole church. How is this church doing? How, is, how are other churches doing? And what we need to recognize that as the overall health of the whole church is very, very important, what we must also recognize is the individual growth of every believer. And we cannot just simply grow as a church. We cannot just, you know, do well as a body together. That we must be striving as individuals because the Christian must grow both together and as an individual. This spiritual house shows that as much as Israel had a temple, which is what Paul, Peter is referring to here, the Christians also have one. But we don't have an earthly temple, we have a spiritual temple, and we ourselves are that temple. We are the, uh, the, the living stones that make up the temple. Now Peter's thoughts, they switch here a little bit from the structure, presumably, like I said, the temple, to those who function in that building. Now if you are unfamiliar with the temple, the temple in the Old Testament, this was where the, the Jews came and this is where the high priest and the priests, they would offer their sacrifices, they would worship God and they would do all these different things. And so Peter is taking again that same imagery and he's saying, I want you now to focus on yourself as the living stones, as Jesus as the cornerstone, the head living, the, 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 the living stone. He says, 
the focus in this in the way that the old temple was used. They came there first to worship, to offer spiritual sacrifices, and to witness, to declare the praises. Now we as a body must be busy doing that today in our lives. That when we come together and when we are on our own, that we are worshiping God and that we are declaring his praises wherever we are. In verse 68, Peter again, he references these Old Testament passages. Now Peter is referring here to the Old Testament where King Solomon built a temple in the, in the city of Jerusalem around 950 years before the birth of Christ. The temple was a special place where the Jews uh, went to praise God. And this place was very sacred to them. This place was very, very meaningful to them. But an army came from, you know, from Babylon and destroyed the temple around 587 B.C. And some Jews built it up again 70 years later. And you see that in Ezra uh, chapter 3 to 6. When they built the temple, one of the things that they obviously had to do is they had to prepare the ground. And Peter, again, I want you to remember, he's using this same imagery. They would have been very aware of the temple that was built and, and, the, and the importance of it and the strength of it. You know, and so when, when they built the temple, they prepared the ground, they cleared the area, they made the ground flat and level, they built the temple, you know, they, you know, they're going to build this big, big temple, and so they found these really, really big stones. The cornerstone was the first stone to be put in place. This was the most important stone. If you get this wrong, everything else will not work out. The cornerstone is the most important stone in the building. It is really, like, it's extra large, it is square, and it has to have very straight sides. The builder put it at one corner of the building, and then from the cornerstone, they build the rest of the building in every direction and also, uh, obviously, up. In the temple, the priest offered sacrifices to God to make a spiritual uh, uh, sorry, to make a sacrifice, they killed a special animal, they burnt it on the altar, and they asked God to forgive them for their sins. This was like a picture that, of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So when Peter is using this imagery, he is now showing them that what the temple was, what the purpose of the temple was, and who the temple was, all of that is now found in Christ. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the one everything is built on, everything is built around. And the focus of the building, the temple, was to, you know, to um, have the sacrifices for forgiveness of sin. Well, if Jesus is now the cornerstone, which means now that in Jesus we have the forgiveness of sin. And so Peter uses this in a really, really um, clear way for the Jewish people at that time to recognize as they are being persecuted and as they are going through this hardship, that as they remain in Christ, that they are exactly where God wants them to be and where they should be. So these three Old Testament, um, these three passages from the Old Testament, they prophesy about Jesus. A prophecy is a message that God sent ahead of time of something that would happen. And we know that everything that God prophesied about Jesus came true it all happened and jesus is the messiah and peter wants these these jews who are these this church who is being persecuted to recognize that in christ they have everything they need now he uses the word zion and this is important because zion is the name of a hill where the jews built their temple but zion is also another name for jerusalem 
And so he's talking about, you know, where the location is. God wanted all the people to believe in Jesus. He wanted them to be part of the church. In Matthew 21, 42 to 45, Jesus says that the builders were the Jewish leaders. They did not accept Jesus. They rejected him and are not, are not part of the church. Jesus, however, is still the cornerstone, and he leads the church, and, and is the, you know, and as a physical cornerstone is so important to the building, Jesus, as the cornerstone of the church, is obviously the most important part of the church. And this is, again, important for us to recognize because many people who believe in God do not necessarily believe in Jesus. And so they may say, oh yeah, I believe that there's a God, but they don't want anything to do with Jesus. And Peter, again, very, very carefully outlines the importance of Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the one who we must always build off of. You cannot build a church. You cannot believe in a God and not believe in Jesus. You must recognize Jesus as the cornerstone. And these Jewish people, they would have understood the sacredness of the temple. They would have understood just how precious the temple was. And Jesus is now that precious to us. As important as the temple was to the Jewish people and who would travel for miles and miles and miles to go to that place because they saw that as a sacred place, they recognized that what was done in that place was sacred. Peter is now outlining and saying that is who Jesus is for us. And he does it in a very, very beautiful way. And he uses this imagery now to show this church that they are part of the building in a sense. They are part of the spiritual building that Jesus is the head of and that he is building up. And then he encourages them after having said all that to kind of show them the importance of who they are, to show them, you know, the value of staying true to Christ. Peter now encourages them with, with these words, verse chapter 9. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Consider what we've just said, you know, on how he reminds the believers, you know, of, of the value of the church and how they are part of that. And now he's telling the believers, you are chosen, you are royal, you are a holy nation. And it's as if he wants this church to recognize that you are built on Christ, who is the head of the church, and you are not here by accident. And when you are in Christ, you are a new person, you are a holy nation, you are a chosen being you you are not just somebody who ended up in a place by accident the stones that were chosen to build the temple were chosen carefully you did not use the same stones as you would have just used somewhere to build a little you know hut for something you know cattle or whatever it was those would have been picked up from anywhere all we need is something to make a barrier for the cattle or whatever the stones for the temple they were chosen carefully they were chosen deliberately and there would have been a lot of work that would have gone into it and peter now again using that imagery he says to the church he says to you and i you are chosen but i don't know what that does for you this morning to recognize and to experience and to embrace that god chose you 
that you are not in this place by accident. You are not here just because you wandered in, but God chose you to, uh, to be his and that you are now part of a beautiful um, work that he is doing. First Peter chapter 2, verse 10, he says, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and, and exiles to abstain from sin, sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives that pagans, though they accuse you of doing wrong, that they may see the good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, this is, again, important because as you heard uh, two weeks ago in the little video, a lot of these Christians would have worked for Romans and they would have worked for people who believed in pagan gods. And, and when you were a slave in a, in a place like that, you were often forced to worship the same gods that the, the, your master would have been, uh, um, that he would have worshipped. So Paul, uh, Peter says here, live such good lives among the pagans, among the people who do not believe what we believe, live such good lives that they will see your good deeds and that they will glorify God. Now, I want to take this now and just wrestle with the rest of the text without reading it because we don't have time and and, uh, and I just want to take and just walk through this really quick. He starts off leading us now straight into this next section. And he challenges them now. And he's built this image. He's built this foundation on who they are in Christ and their value and that they are chosen. And then he says, and now all of that, having, been, having said all of that, I want you to live such good lives that even people who do not believe what you believe will glorify God as a result of your deeds. Now, we could have, he would have left that open. We could have just said, oh, okay, I guess that means my friends or, you know, my, my buddies or whoever. But look at what he says. He's, he goes straight into who. And the first group of people he identifies is kings and rulers. Now, we are to submit to authority, Peter says. But it's important that he says, but we are to live as free men and free women, now, this is important because you need to recognize that when Peter wrote this, Nero was the emperor. And Nero was an extremely evil, evil man. And yet Peter says, you need to submit to authority. You need to submit to rulers. But he says, you know, you are still free. But he says, do not use your freedom for yourself, but to serve God. Now, there's a number of meanings, I think, that could go with this. But I think the key thing that Peter wants us to see here is that even though we are free and even though we are to submit to authority, there is always the highest authority that we need to submit to, and that is God. That even if your ruler, even if your master expects you to do something that is wrong, you must first submit to God. And I think this is very true for us today. And Peter and John um, exercised this in, in the book of Acts when they were told, you must preach no longer. And what do they say? You decide. Should we rather obey you or God? Because when there is a conflict between what the authorities are telling us to do and what God is telling us to do, we will choose to follow God even if that means persecution. And so Peter says, be free. You still have a right to choose, but at the same time, when possible, you must submit to 
the authorities. Now, the next section he goes into is this whole area of slaves. This can cause some tension for us because the tension is that Peter never speaks against slavery. And if you're wondering why that is, I, you just need to understand that slavery at that time was so common that instead of speaking against it, Peter in, instead encourages and taught the slave how they are to live under their masters. And he challenges them by doing things like this. He says, if you're going to get beat, make sure it's for something you deserved and not something that you, you know, if they beat you for doing something good, well, that's commendable to God. But if you're, if you're being difficult and they beat you, well, then you kind of got what you deserved. And, it, and it's, again, there's some tension here for us because in our society today, this just seems so, you know, outrageous. But what Peter's doing here is he, in a sense, is saying what I might say to you as employees. If your boss wrongs you, you know, you need to still be respectful. You need to still be, you still need to live honorably. And if you get fired or if you get disciplined for doing something, you know, that was, you know, not really your fault, in the end, God will judge over all of that. And so Jesus, and, he, and this is the place in verse 21, he says, to this you were called, this whole idea of being willing to suffer, he says, but to this you were called because Christ suffered for you. And here again, he makes that connection. He says, you are going to suffer, but remember, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow. And I want to read this really quickly. And if you're an employee or if you're in a place right now, we, maybe your boss isn't always the nicest. And if you're that boss, smarten up. But, you know, if you're... Um, if you're in that place where, um, you know, maybe your boss isn't quite treating you the way that you should, listen to how Peter speaks to these slaves. And look at what he says, verse 21 again. This, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he did not threat. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Now, I got to stop because time's out. But I want to recap really quick. So Peter starts off by saying, you know what, therefore, I want you to recognize that you must rid yourself of certain things, but you must also grow as an individual and as a church. And then he built this beautiful picture of us saying, Jesus is the cornerstone, like the temple, everything is built off the cornerstone, and you were chosen carefully to be part of that stone. And now, because you are part of that building, that spiritual building with Jesus as the cornerstone, live such good lives, even in these difficult circumstances, so that in the end, God would receive all the glory. So I challenge you and I today to take that same approach to our lives, to recognize who we are, to recognize that we are building off of what Jesus has done for us, that we are chosen, and so that we would go from here living such incredible lives, even in those difficult moments, that those who watch us would end up glorifying God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for these words, these challenges. And God, I pray that your spirit would go and minister to us even, even throughout this week as we 
and wrestle with how to live this out. And I thank you for what you will do in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and uh, have a wonderful week.